because when you look at Genesis chapter 9 and what we've been studying with Noah and the flood and what we've just come through this past weekend with the winds and the rain and all of that and now God, He puts a rainbow in the sky to let Noah know that, hey, never again will I destroy the earth with the flood. And we're going to learn some great lessons, I believe, from this text. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, living under the rainbow. So Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 8 through verse 17. But let me just say this, as we begin to talk about this text. We're living in a day where people have taken the rainbow and they've distorted what it means. Haven't they? Uh, There is a segment of our society that's taken the rainbow and they've distorted it and they've taken an unbiblical view of what the rainbow is all about. But tonight we're going to learn what the rainbow really represents and it's about a promise from God that He'll never destroy this earth with a flood again. That doesn't mean there's not going to be storms. It doesn't mean that there'll never be rain. It doesn't mean that there'll never be local floods in our world. But it means that God will never send a universal flood of this earth again. And so as we look at our text, we're going to learn some great lessons. But there's really one truth that we're going to take from this text tonight. But let's look at Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse number 8. And God spake to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Living under the rainbow. Now we've been talking about Noah and the ark and the flood and I believe it's fair to say that the flood was a terrible tragedy. We can agree with that. Every living thing on earth was wiped out except one small family and a boatload of animals. And I want you to imagine the trauma of witnessing such a scene. It had to be probably one of the most terrifying experiences possible. Imagine that you're on the boat, the rain begins to fall, and you begin to hear the screams and the sounds of people perishing outside of the boat. It had to be a terrifying experience. Imagine the trauma of living through the torrential rain that lasted for 40 days and night. Imagine the trauma of experiencing all of the waters breaking loose from volcanic eruptions, and all of a sudden the water begins to shoot forward from the ground, and all of a sudden the heavens open up and the rain begins to fall from the sky above. Imagine the trauma as the fact gradually begins to dawn on you that you're the only family left 
on the earth. That it's you, your wife, your three sons, and your daughter-in-laws. And that's it. There's nobody else. Everybody else has been wiped out. Everybody else has been extinguished. And it's you and your family. And that's it. That's it. Just imagine that everybody else has perished because they cursed God, they rejected God, and they rebelled against Him. Imagine the trauma of living on the boat for a whole year and having a whole year to think about righteousness, sin, death, and the judgment of God. Imagine living a a whole year on the boat knowing that God judges sin and wickedness. Now think about this. Knowing his family gets off the boat and imagine probably, probably the terror and fear that fills their lives when they see storm clouds enter the sky and... Drops of rain begin to fall and they hear the thunder begin to rumble. Every little rainstorm would probably make their stomachs begin to churn and they probably begin to question, what if the rain doesn't stop this time? What if God destroys us like He destroyed everybody else? They may begin to wonder and even question, should we even bother to build homes and plant crops, or is God going to once again wipe out everything again? These are probably questions Noah and his family had to deal with. I mean, God destroyed sin, and Noah, even though he was blameless according to what the Scripture said, perfect and upright. Noah was not a sinless man because we're going to find that out later in chapter 9. We'll talk about that Sunday morning, God willing. He plants a vineyard and he drinks the wine and he gets drunk and lays naked in his tent. So he wasn't a perfect man, sinless. He wasn't a sinless man. So he knows he's got some issues. He knows he's still got some problems. And that God punishes sin. And so he's got all these questions he's got to deal with. Is God going to destroy the earth like he's done already? Noah and his family needed to know, is God going to judge us? More than anyone who had ever lived before, Noah needed God's assurance concerning future judgment. I believe that in this passage, God graciously repeats Himself so that Noah and his family will not only hear the message, but feel it. In fact, that word covenant, it shows up seven times in these verses. God wanted Noah to know that, hey, you can have assurance that I'm not going to do what I've already done. That doesn't mean that God's not going to send judgment in the future, but hey, I'm not going to destroy this world with a flood like I've done previously. God's promise to Noah was it a spiritual promise because it concerned the physical destruction of the earth. But it does point ahead to the spiritual promise He makes to us in Christ. And so from this passage, I want to give you one truth. One thing that we can take away from this text. And here it is. God is faithful to His promises. God is faithful to His promises. So what is God's promise to Noah? Never to destroy the earth again by flood. That's the letter A. Never to destroy the earth again by flood. That's the promise. And here's the thing. God has kept that promise now for over 4,000 years. 
The word covenant that's used in this text at least seven times. It's an important word in the Bible. There are different covenants which God made with people. God made a covenant with Adam. God made a covenant with Noah. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses. The word covenant, it is a pledged and defined relationship. A covenant is an agreement. A covenant can be looked at like a contract. And so when God makes a covenant with someone, He pledges or agrees to do certain things in a defined relationship of responsibility towards certain people. So I want you to write down several aspects of God's covenant with Noah. Number one, it was unilateral. It was unilateral. And what this means is that God took the sole initiative. Noah didn't think this up. Noah didn't negotiate with God. God originated this covenant. God established this covenant. And He announced the terms to Noah. And when you study the Bible, when you study the covenants that God made with other people, you'll find that, that all of God's covenants are that way. In other words, God is sovereign, God is in control, and He determines that He will do in accordance with the counsel of His own will. In other words, we can't come to God and try to bargain with Him. We can't come to God and say, God, I want you to do things this way. I want you to do things my way. In other words, God fixed the terms, God sets the limits, God sets the boundaries, and God says, this is how it's going to be done. God initiated the covenant and said, Noah, this is how it's going to be done. These are the terms, and this is how it's going to be done. Now, here's the thing. We oftentimes can get into contracts, and we go back and forth, and we try to barter, and we try to trade, and we try to negotiate, but when it comes to God, you don't go back and forth with God. God sets the terms, and you either live up to it, or you don't. Amen? God establishes it, and you either live it up, live according to it, or you don't. Because God sets the covenant. Now here's a great lesson for us. God's word is forever settled and established. You see, God isn't going to change his mind about what he has said. He isn't going to rewrite his word because we don't like what's written. If God says it's wrong in his word, he'll never change his mind and say it's right when you talk to him in prayer. Amen? In other words, if God says divorce is wrong, He'll never let you pray about it and say, hey, you can divorce your spouse and go marry somebody else. God will never contradict His written Word. God's Word is forever settled. It is established. And this is what is true. And God will never change His mind. Amen? It is fixed. And it can't be changed. But here's the second thing about God's covenant. It was eternal. Look at verse 12 again. God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Notice those words. For perpetual generations. It's going to go on and on and on for generation to come. And then verse 16. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. God knows His plan from the beginning and carries it out exactly as His promises. People may try to disobey God and they may try to thwart His purpose, but His promise will be fulfilled. God's plan, God's covenant will stay intact because it is an everlasting covenant. 
God promises to never again destroy the world by, world by a flood. And again, that doesn't mean that God's never going to judge the ungodly. It never means that He's not going to destroy the earth. The Bible clearly teaches that God's going to judge the earth again by a fire. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 and 7. We, we've talked about this in weeks past, but I want to look at it again. God's going to send judgment. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? Peter's talking about people scoffing and saying, hey... Where's His coming? You're talking about Jesus coming back and they're mocking believers. Where's His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store. Notice this. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It tells us there, it's going to be destroyed by fire. And then verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. God will judge the earth again, but it's going to be by fire but the covenant that God gave to Noah it will remain in effect until Jesus comes back it's for perpetual generations it is an everlasting covenant but here's the third thing about this covenant it was a universal covenant look at verse 9 through 11 of Genesis 9 and I behold I establish my covenant with you and notice this with your seed after you well, guess where we came from? Through Noah and his lineage. And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. Verse 11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more flood to destroy the earth. God's blessing of protection from the judgment of a universal flood extend to every living thing. Now, we know there's been local floods. We've seen it this past weekend. There's areas that are flooded. People dealing with, with losing their homes, losing their property because of the hurricane that's come through and rivers uh, that are, are rising and, and the water has nowhere to go. So there's going to be local floods. There's not going to be a universal flood, however. In fact, the text that I've just read here gives us uh, more evidence that the flood was a universal flood. But we see here that every person who's ever lived has had the opportunity to observe God's mercy because of this covenant. Because God says, I'll never destroy everybody, I'll never destroy everything again by a flood. So it's a universal flood. Covenant that, hey, I'm not going to just come down and destroy everything like that again with a flood. Number four, it was unconditional. It was an unconditional covenant. God doesn't say that the promise will be revoked if men reach the same levels of sin as they did before. If you study the covenant that God gave to Moses, it was conditional. 
It depended on the obedience of the nation Israel. If they didn't obey, God wasn't going to keep His end of the deal to bless them. You find that in Deuteronomy 28. He told them, hey, if, if you'll do this, I'll bless you. If you don't do this, then I'm not going to bless you. But the covenant with Noah wasn't dependent on Noah's or anyone else's obedience. It depended solely on God's word to Noah. And you find that as you read the text. That God says, hey, I, I'm not going to destroy the earth again with a flood. It wasn't based on whether or not Noah was good. It wasn't based on whether or not Noah did anything. Just, I'll, I'll, I'll not destroy the earth again. That was God's promise. God's covenant with Noah reveals God's grace. Amen? And here's God's grace. Here's what it means. God's grace is His unmerited favor towards those who deserve His judgment. In fact, let me say this. The only reason Noah escaped judgment was because he found grace in God's eyes. You see, if God acted on the basis of what we deserve, the human race would have perished centuries ago. Think about that. If God gave us what we deserved, we'd all perish. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered what God must see as He looks upon the earth? And here's the thing. God sees it all, doesn't He? And yet He withholds His judgment. I mean, God sits in heaven and He looks down upon this world and He sees everything that happens. He sees every baby that gets aborted. He sees every woman that gets raped. He sees every drug dealer. He sees every murder. He sees everything that takes place. And yet God withholds His judgment. Why? Grace. You, me, anybody else, if we were God, we would want to... Let's, let's send a lightning bolt and get them. God is gracious. And here's the thing. God knows that man is evil. God knows that man's wicked. In fact, here's the thing that I find interesting... If you were to back up to Genesis chapter 8, I believe verse, verse 21, this sitting in your notes, but when Noah comes off the ark and he offers a sacrifice to God, Genesis 8, 21 says, The Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. God knows man's evil. He sent the flood, protected Noah. Noah gets off the ark, worships God, and God finds the sacrifice pleasing. And God says, I'll not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For, that word for, I think it's a preposition. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've had English. But for. Meaning this is the reason why. Because. I'll put it that way. Because the imagination. Because the thought or intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. In other words, God says, 
I know man isn't going to get it right. And I know man isn't going to straighten up. That's basically what God says. I know man's going to be wicked even from his youth. That's why Jesus came. Because we have a sinful nature that can never do right. Think about it. We can never do right. And I know people want to debate, well, preacher, I'm a good person. Not according to this. According to what God says, there are no good people. And I know people that are lost and they'll want to debate that. I'm a good person. Not according to God. God says there's none good. There's none righteous. There's none that seek Him. And we have issues with that. We have issues with that. But here's the thing. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We think if I'm not out there committing murder, I'm not out there doing this, I'm not out there doing that, then hey, I'm a good person. But God says, there's none good. And so that means without... Jesus, we all get judgment. Which means if we get what we deserve, when it comes to judgment, we get eternity in hell. And people don't like that. But God is gracious. And that's why Jesus hadn't come back yet is because God's got the door open so people can find Jesus. That's why Noah was on the boat seven days before the door was ever shut because I believe God was giving people time to get on board. Because God's gracious. You think God really wanted to destroy everybody? No. I believe God... Listen. I believe for 120 years, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's what Peter tells us. He was a pre- listen. He preached. He witnessed. He told people they had every opportunity possible to escape the flood. Nobody is without excuse, according to the Apostle Paul and what he says in the Book of Romans, chapter one. Nobody will stand before God and say, "I didn't know." see, judgment is coming, but today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of grace. 
And God offers pardon to anybody who wants it. Now listen, I, I, I know that it goes against some people in Christianity's theology. They, some people think that some people are predestined to be saved and some's just destined to be lost and doomed to be lost. I believe that Jesus died so that whosoever believes in Him could be saved. I'm so glad that I'm a whosoever that He came and He died and He bled so that I could believe in Him and be rescued and redeemed from hell. Amen? God doesn't want people to perish. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 and listen to this. We've done read verse 4 through 7 and verse 10. Now listen to the verses in the middle of 2 Peter 3. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Aren't you glad He's long-suffering? What's that mean? He's patient. He's patient to who? To usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want people to be lost. He's made a way out. Through Jesus Christ, people can be saved and they can escape the judgment of God. That's who God is. But the fifth thing I want us to see about this covenant, it was confirmed by a sign. Look at verse 12 through 17. God said, This is the token, or this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature. That is with you for perpetual generations. I just want to point out something here in this text. You'll notice that Noah's not doing any talking. God's doing all the talking. I do set my bow in the cloud. And let me just point out something here. One thing about the King James Bible. If you read other translations, it, it says rainbow. But if you look at a rainbow normally in the clouds, or you, you normally see it, it looks like a bow, doesn't it? And that's how the King James translates. It looks like a bow. One commentator said this, it looks like a bow without the arrow. Why? Because the arrow had already been shot and God was done with His judgment. God wasn't going to shoot any more arrows. God was the arrow had already been shot and God was done with His judgment. And so now you just have the bow. I thought that fascinating. I... That, that's, just, that, that's just one reason I, I, I like reading sometimes from the King James Bible and studying. That, that's just one of my preferences is because sometimes you can study things and find, dig a little deeper sometimes than you can with others. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. God said this is the token of the covenant. This is the sign of the covenant. God's sign of the rainbow was both gracious 
and appropriate. Notice that God put the sign in the clouds where Noah and his family would have looked with fear when the storms came. Think about that. The same place where the flood came and where the flood began, God put the sign that he'd never seen it again. He put the rainbow there. Think about this. The same water which destroyed the earth now causes the rainbow. Think about this as we begin to study and meditate on the rainbow promise. Notice what the text doesn't say. Nowhere does God say, I will never send a storm again. Nowhere does God promise that life will be free of storms, trials, troubles, and difficulties. In fact, most rainbows appear only after the storm has come and gone. Think about it. You usually don't see rainbows until after the rain's already begun and stopped. In other words, you can't have rainbows unless you've had a little bit of rain. If there were no storms, there'd be very few rainbows. The message to us is obvious. God never promises a life free from pain and suffering. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. We know that all things work together for good and we know that the all things include tears and suffering, unanswered questions and moments of anger, terror and sadness. And even when we quote those famous words of Joseph in Genesis 50, 20, when he tells his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, we have to realize that you can't get to the last phrase without going through the first phrase. I take from that a familiar truth. God never gives us more than we can bear. And here's the thing, the human race can't bear another worldwide flood so God won't send one and the rainbow proves that promise. But there will still be many storms along the way and there's still going to be a lot of sadness along the way. But if we look up, we'll see God's rainbows here and there along the way reminding us that the storms of life don't mean things are out of control. In fact, the rainbow teaches us that everything's under God's control. Amen? Just because there's a storm don't mean things are out of control. You look up, you'll see the rainbow letting you know, hey, God's in control and God keeps His Word. One thing I find fascinating about this text is that even if man forgets the meaning of the rainbow, God says that he will look at it and remember his covenant. Look there again at verse number 16. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And notice this, God speaking, I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Even if we forget what God has said, God won't forget what He said. And we may live in a world, as I've already said, where they've tried to... paint the rainbow with something else, but I promise you, God's not forgotten what the rainbow means. And we may forget the promise of it, but God hadn't forgot the promise of it. God will see the rainbow, He'll remember His promise, and God will remember His covenant. You see, a rainbow, it's a beautiful thing to behold, and it reminds us of God's presence in the remnants of the storm. But it also reminds us that He is faithful to keep His promises. Hear me, God is faithful to His promises. 
It means that God's going to keep His Word. God is going to do what He said He promised to do. Amen? The rainbow is the sign of His promise, but His Word is the assurance of His promise. Look at verse 17 again. God said to Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Notice those words, God said. There is no greater assurance of God's faithfulness than God's Word. Throughout this passage, God repeatedly told Noah that he was making a covenant with him. Back in verse 9, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you. In verse 11, God said, I will establish my covenant with you. In verse 12, God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you. In verse 13, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. In verse 15, I will remember my covenant which is between me and you. Verse 16, I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. And then verse 17, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh. Over and over, God was driving home the point so that Noah could have assurance, not based on his feelings, but based on God's sure word. Hear me, our feelings can change, our feelings can't be trusted, our feelings can be up and down, but this book, God's word does not change. Amen? So when God makes a promise, He keeps His promise. His Word can be trusted. Amen? Matthew five eighteen. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. Matthew twenty four thirty five. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's Word is His bond and what He says He means. We can trust the promises of God. Our God's faithful. Our God is faithful. Psalm 36, 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens and Thy faithfulness reaches to the clouds. If God said it, we can believe it. We can take Him at His Word. Deuteronomy 32, 4, He is the rock. His work is perfect for all His ways or judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. You can trust God. And in fact, let me say this. What kind of God would He be if we couldn't trust Him? What kind of God would He be if we couldn't trust Him? God has kept His promise to never destroy the earth with a flood. And whatever promise God has made to you, He'll keep it. In fact, this book right here is a book of promises. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised to be with us. He's promised to guide us. He's promised to meet every need. And we can take Him at His word. The main thing that we learn here in our text from Genesis 9 and the rainbow is that God is faithful to His promises. Amen? That God keeps His word. And so no matter what you're facing tonight, no matter what you're going through, God keeps His word. If you're facing a struggle, if you're facing a battle that you don't know which way to turn and you don't know what to do, I've come to let you know God keeps His Word. God honors His Word. In fact, He watches over His Word to perform it. God will make it good. God is not a man that He should lie. Let God be true and every man a liar. You may not be able to trust in me. You may not be able to trust in those around you. But you can trust in God. He is the God of truth. He is faithful to keep His Word. 
And so when you're going through the storm, look for the rainbow and it'll let you know that God will honor His Word. Amen. I feel Him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand all over this place tonight? Numbers 23, 19. I'll close with that. I just quoted it briefly, but it says this, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of man that He should repent. Has He not said, and shall He not do it? Or has He spoken, and shall He not make it good? Listen, God will make it good. God will make it good. If God said He'll do it, He'll make it good. Amen. He's faithful to His promises. And you might be here tonight thinking, hey, God hadn't come through yet for me. Listen, He doesn't work in your timing or in mine, but He always comes through. Does He not? He always comes through. We have to be willing to wait at times, but God always comes through when we need Him to come through. Stand with me.